And we are live, ladies and gentlemen, for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and I'm joined by Seth Wintraub. How are you doing today, Seth? I'm good. All right. Uh, this episode of Electric Podcast is brought to you by Electrify America, the largest public electric vehicle charging, fast charging network in the U.S. Uh, we're going to have a little bit more to say about them later on the show, but thanks uh, Electrify America for sponsoring this week's episode of the Electric Podcast. Uh, we have a bunch of things to discuss this week, but we're going to jump in with uh, something that came out actually just after the podcast last week. So uh, it's been a, it's already already a week old, but we didn't have that, uh, the opportunity to discuss it on the show. So we're going to do it now. And that is the new proposed uh, reform to the electric vehicle federal incentive in the U.S., it's something we've been talking about for years, really. Like, uh, it's long overdue that they reformed the program. It's, there's a lot of major flaws in the federal tax credit. And, uh, especially since Biden took, uh, uh, Biden won the elections and, uh, and the Democrats, uh, took control of the Senate and the House of Representatives. There's been a clear indication that, uh, they was gonna, they were gonna try to push through a reform to the program and we've seen a bunch of different legislation pop up over the last year uh, that gave us some indication of what that reform would look like but uh, this latest here um is um is something that was uh, passed through uh, the um the uh, upcoming social spending bill a giant 3.5 trillion dollar spending bill and uh, the uh, it sort as as it went through the uh, house of ways and means community and was approved by them it sorts of emerged as the leading proposal to uh, reform uh, the uh, the federal tax incentive let me just remove this real quick i forgot to do that my ban and uh, so we i'm going to walk with uh, walk you through the 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 updates to this um how it would change the federal incentive. So first of all, the most important thing, it's uh, going to remove the cap of 200,000 electric vehicle deliveries in the U.S. per manufacturer, which was the biggest issue with the program because it uh, it affected automakers that were simply early on in adopting electric vehicles. And in this case, it's basically Tesla and GM that were affected by it. Uh, so by removing that, you you make it more fair play and it's just as many vehicles as you can deliver, uh, regardless of the manufacturer. And this uh, this cap of 200,000 is, uh, is replaced by basically a, a 10-year period where uh, they're going to have access to EV incentive. Um, now those EV incentives have changed a little bit, so it's not going to be a seventy-five hundred dollar tax credit anymore, federal tax credit. It's going to be now a seventy-five hundred dollars point of sale rebate, or but re- I don't know if rebate is the right word because if it's point of sale, it's it's basically a discount. Like it's basically going to be applied by the seller, so a dealership, or in the case of Tesla, Tesla itself, since they sell direct to customer. That that's my understanding personally. Um, now, this seventy five hundred dollar point of sale discount is going to be applied for five years, and um, but there's going to be there's going to be some changes to how, what makes a vehicle eligible to that. So, uh, for, first of all, the uh, you need to have a vehicle over forty kilowatt hours of battery capacity. If not, the $7,500 become $4,000. So significant difference here. At this point, it doesn't have a major impact because most EVs these days are over 40 kilowatt hour. But you're going to have things like the Mazda uh, MX-30, for example, that won't benefit from the full tax credit. You get a $4,000, which is perfectly fair in my opinion. Now, yeah, the other is the like the old Ionic and the uh, Mini. Yeah, I think those are both too. under 40. Yeah, there's a few of them that will fall under that, but those are extremely low volume vehicles that have basically no impact on EV adoption in the U.S. Uh, so the next big deal and the most controversial one is to the 7,500, you can have over 4,500, another $4,500 if the uh, electric vehicle in question has been assembled in a union factory. Okay. That's a big one. We're going to go back to, to that one, but let me just run through a few of the other um, points of um, changes to the ref- to the program. There's going to be another $500 on top. So if you add them up at this point, $7,500, another $500, that's, you end up to $12,500. And that uh, last $500 is for e- an EVs that is using a battery pack that 
50% of the component in the battery pack is made in the U.S. So that includes the battery cells. So basically, you need cells in the U.S. because you won't achieve that 50% mark anyway without the cells. So it's basically saying they want battery cells in the U.S., uh, which um, might be a problem for some. Uh, some battery, like, uh, but uh, um, the GM with the Ultium battery system should be fine. Uh, Tesla with the Model 3, Model Y, the batteries are coming from Nevada. They're going to be fine. But vehicles like the Model S and X, batteries coming from uh, Japan or maybe soon the US, we'll see. Uh, there's something to keep in mind. But that's, again, that's $500. So it's not a big deal. Okay, all those changes, changes are going to be applied for five years. But they were talking about extending it for another five years after that. However, the main part of the incentive, the 7,500, um, is going to be only eligible for uh, electric vehicles that are made in the U.S. So uh, Biden has been talking a lot about that lately, that the, the incentive is going to be for U.S.-made vehicles. Now, in this proposal, it sounds like they're basically giving a five-year grace period to foreign automakers um, to still get access to the incentive with vehicles that are not made in the U.S. Uh, another interesting aspect here is uh, they're going to finally introduce price cap on the actual vehicles to be eligible. So they went with an interesting way here. They break it down with different uh, types of vehicles. So sedans is going to be eligible if they are under 55,000, SUVs under 69,000, pickup trucks under 74,000, and vans under 54,000. So this is an interesting approach here. Most other countries with their incentive, they have caps on, on the price of, of the vehicles in order to be eligible. But uh, I've never seen one that's uh, so precise in terms of all the different uh, vehicle types that you can have. Finally, there's also a cap on the income that you can have in order to get access to those um, incentives. Uh, we, we've heard... We've seen other proposed reforms having that, but this one here, it's uh, it's a pretty uh, wide open one because uh, we're, we're talking about $400,000 for individual filers and $800,000 for joint filers. So um, for most people, it should be uh, okay, unless you're super rich. But in that case, <laughs> are you really looking for a $7,500 discount? Well, technically, it's up to 12000 so... So all, all of these points that I've discussed have been mostly uncontroversial. Like people are, so there, there's some disagreement, of course, but for the most part, people agree, uh, except for that $4,500 that is especially for EVs that have been assembled at union factories. So a lot of people are saying that it's a, it's a Tesla tax. Some people, are, but to be fair, it's not just Tesla tax because some other foreign automakers uh, have factories in the U.S. that are not unionized. But at the same time, most of those are not producing EVs and certainly not in the kind of volume that Tesla is producing. So for sure, Tesla would be the most affected by this specific change here. And We're going to talk about it later, but uh, VW CEO is quite quite upset about it. Yeah, so Chattanooga is not unionized? Nope. Yeah, yeah that's going to be a problem for, for Volkswagen too. Uh, as they ramp up production, because of course they're just they're just now starting production for for, for uh, the ID four, and yeah, I mean th- there's some opposition for it now. Like Elon Elon has been obviously came out against it, he even claimed that Ford and the auto worker union uh, wrote th- this part of the bill, and uh, obviously this is this is clearly like uh, a big boost to to Michigan and to the 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 stronghold of uh, union workers and union auto workers there and i mean i didn't have to look too far to find some connection with if you look at one of the main writer of the bill is mr dan kildy uh suppose you pronounce his name who happens to be the u.s representative for the michigan's fifth congressional district uh so you can f- assume that uh, that guy cannot be elected without the support of the uh, UAW. So obviously, there's some shenanigans going on here, but that's uh, that's U.S. politics for you and money and politics. So I don't know about you, said, but my take is look, obviously this this is not this is not an ideal situation because you have a piece of legislation here that that its goal is to uh, accelerate EV adoption in the U.S. Uh, it's to 
incentivize the purchase of electric vehicles over gasoline vehicles and discount them to represent the fact that they have a lesser negative impact on the environment than their gasoline counterparts. That's how I see it personally. Uh, now, whether or not these cars are made by union workers doesn't have any impact on the, uh, on, on the, 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 the impact that they have on the environment. Right. So I just think that they are like confusing to piece of legislation. I'm not saying that I'm anti-union or pro-union. It has like nothing to do with it. That's what I'm saying. It has nothing to do with this piece of legislation. It's obviously, like I said, being used to, uh, squeeze in a few more, um, shekels for um the uh the unions here in this case i agree uh i you know i didn't feel you know there was previous versions of this and they had a much smaller union i think it was like 2500 or something like that even less than that i don't think anybody would really be that upset about but Mm -hmm. 2500 bucks is huge Mm -hmm. and uh i don't know it just doesn't rub me the right way that uh they're throwing the bone i mean obviously biden's got a lot of union support um, it feels kind of like, uh, you know, the the events that he's had has been only union companies. It just feels like the unions are really strong arming this whole thing. And like like you, I'm not anti-union. I think uh, there's a lot of good that comes out of unions. But kind of rubs me the wrong way that there's so much money going to, you know, union shops over non-union shops here. Yeah, and like, like you said, there's so much good that comes out of unions, and, and that's the thing. Like, it, it's really hard to be anti-union. Like, if b- being anti-workers bending together to have a better bargaining power over their rich employers, like it's there's like who's going to disagree with that? Like, uh, unless you're a very rich employer, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but like, in terms of like the populace, I mean, it's yeah. hard to disagree with that. But you, you can be anti-specific unions, however. And the UAW has proven to be uh, less than uh, to have their hands less than clean. Let's just say, like, there's been several scandals with, within the community of spending union money uh, through the roof and everything. Like, to me, a union, like, it should be like there's no the, there's no rich person at the top of union that is is paying like I think I've seen I've seen things like fourteen thousand dollars or spent at a cigar shop and, and and things like that on union dollars. Like a union head should be a union worker that is like elected temporarily to be a union head and there's this revolving door of them and they're still workers because that's what they are. They're a union of workers. If you start to bring in a hierarchy of people like that and like there's executive that gets six figures for being just a union representative, like that's where you lose me. So uh, when we, if we come back to the actual piece of legislation here, like if if that if that specific thing wasn't in there, uh, I think it would be perfect. But I don't want to push back too much either way because this, as it stands right now, this piece of legislation would still greatly accelerate EV adoption in the U.S. There's no doubt about that. So if it's either that or nothing, I definitely want that. So that's why I'm more careful in the way I'm um, I'm, I'm talking about this uh, proposed reform to the EV incentive here. Uh, but I, I've uh, I've heard also some people saying like, okay, so if if they are s- playing the game like that, let's let's play uh, their game in the same way. And there's no there's nothing stopping the factories that are uh, not unionized to unionize, but not with the UAW here was definitely pushing that piece of legislation. So that could be an option, and you could see Chattanooga unionizing. Uh, within themselves, creating their own union, uh, Tesla Fremont, and not getting involved with UAW. Of course, I don't know how the head of uh, Volkswagen America, like you said, would feel about that. And I don't know how Elon uh, Tesla would feel about that. But that would probably show show them their true colors if they weren't really uh, on board with that. Because if their real problem is with UAW and not with the actual fact of unionizing. Uh, this, this this will show it, but I think I think it's at least some, an option to consider. Yeah, but anyway, uh, we're gonna keep a close eye to this piece of legislation as it moves through the process here. But it looks like it's gonna be part of this giant social bill. Uh, but by the time it, it clears the house and the Senate, it's uh, probably gonna have a few changes to it, and that one might might be one of them. Uh, but also, like to be honest, like twelve thousand five hundred dollars is a lot of money. Like you don't even need that uh, to. Uh, um, to incentivize EVs that much, 
I think. Well, they obviously don't because they, yeah, not only they cannot manage enough cars in the U.S., but also they are they own over sixty percent of the market in the U.S. while being the only, except for the Bolt, only cars that don't have access to the incentive. So they're already showing that they don't need the incentive to dominate the U.S. market. So, right. So the other automakers are getting an incentive, and that that will make them more competitive with Tesla. Yeah, and already I making mean, them more competitive for some for right. some of them. So, yeah, this this is a problem. Um yeah, I, I think I think Tesla would be fine without it, but at the same time the, that would be purely a, a competitive move here. It would be a pro EV adoption move. Like you want like this is incentive they makes like that's the thing too. Like people always when I, I talk about that like I I'm for I'm for this legislation here that gives twelve thousand dollars to to people that are buying an EV. People are like, yeah, you're just like a subsidy um, whore. Like you just you just want to go after the subsidies. Look, I mean personally, I think it would be better without any subsidies and instead tax carbon as it should be taxed for its impact. Like well, we I agree. Think, yeah, we all agree on that, but. That's never going to happen. <laughs> and I, I mean, Elon had an interesting comment. That we, I don't think Biden ever commented on that, and I don't think he ever will. But um, he said that he, he was approached to discuss the tax credit for electric vehicle after Biden was elected. And he talked to the Biden's team and he said, look, we also agree the same thing. With, like Incentive or not the ideal uh, a penalty for carbon would make a lot more sense. And apparently this team, that, that's according to Elon, said that... Uh, uh, that's not politically feasible. Like it's it's not it's too hard to to accomplish politically. wise. so um, they're not going to do it. While this twelve thousand dollars incentive apparently is more uh, palatable to Congress. I don't know. Hmm. Well, anyway, let's uh, keep a, an eye on it uh, moving forward. Let's uh, hit some Tesla news real quick. Uh, the uh, some news on the FSD bit of E10. Uh, it came out last weekend, uh, as uh, Elon promised. So that's uh, that's good. Uh, finally, a FSD timeline that <laughs> that Tesla sticks to. Uh, though, I mean, I, I watched all the videos and everything, and uh, Elon, Elon, and that's that's on him. He's been hyping that hot, that update like crazy. Like how many times he called it mind blowing? It's uh, it, it was mind blowing in itself. But watching all the videos and everything didn't really blow my mind i mean not much more than the previous version which were already kind of impressive in himself yeah i feel like a lot of the commenters didn't really get that nuance where yeah. it's like the previous version and and autopilot in general is mind-blowing but this update wasn't a mind-blowing update yeah exactly like, the difference between the previous update and this one wasn't mind-blowing because that's what it sounded like but if you so if you've never heard of fsd before and you see v10 you're like, wow, this is impressive stuff, and sure it is. But if you've seen 9.3 and everything, like you're like, all right, like this, this, this is an incremental change, nothing mind blowing. Uh, but what, what I'm seeing right now, really, out of FSD with uh, with V10, is Tesla pretty much as the perception aspect of the of self driving figured out. Like the car can understand its environment extremely well, like impressively well. Um, which which is a great feat, like incredible feat, and congrats to the Tesla team for achieving that. It's absolutely incredible. However, on the decision making front, on like all the driving behavior, I'm not that impressed because uh, I've seen from all the demos that came out over the last week, I've seen a ton of like major major mistakes out of the out of FSD, uh, illegal driving behavior, really uh, dangerous driving behavior. <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean, to, I wrote in the, um, this article about it not being mind blowing. That to me, it sounds, it, it looks like um, a thirteen-year-old that uh, stole their parents' car and is learning how to drive, basically. And uh, a thirteen-year-old with perfect twenty-twenty vision, you can see the road perfectly fine. You can reach over the <laughs> over the steering wheel, uh, but uh, when it comes to making decision, he makes uh, dumb ones, as you would expect from a thirteen-year-old. But here's the thing. You can take it 13 years old, teach him how to drive for a few years, and he's going to be able to drive pretty safely, really, uh, if you teach him well. And the idea is that Tesla full self like a 20 year old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if even Tesla wants that comparison, though. But uh, the idea is that with the neural nets, like the FSD would learn faster than uh, the average human. 
so we could see it faster than a, a natural progression, like going from a 13-year-old to a 20-year-old that would take you seven years of learning how to drive. Let's say that the Tesla FSD can do it in two or three. That would be a, that would be amazing. Uh, but um, yeah, the big thing with V10 too has been the wider release. Elon has been talking about the wider release. And now yesterday he made some comments about that. Um, he, d- he did say that now the wider release will come uh, next Friday. And uh, but at the same time, he made he, he added the condition that uh, as you press the down, because the the wider release will be linked to a download button, so you can go into your car if you bought the full self driving package, you'll be able to download the latest software. But as you do that, uh, Tesla will ask you to accept that they will use your telemetry data and try to figure out if you're a good driver using the same calculator that Tesla used for Tesla insurance. Uh, so they're basically going to track how you drive for a week. And from that, they're going to make some sort of judgment whether or not you're a good candidate for FSD beta. Which is really uh, n- not as much as a wide release as we were expecting. <laughs> no, I, I, now I, like I, I'm worried about my driving for a week if, <laughs> and when the button comes. Yeah, here's the thing though. When you accept for Tesla to track your data, I would assume that you're going to be uh, extremely careful the way you drive for a week. Uh, I don't know. What, what happens if you're not driving that week? You just you press the data and leave your car because uh, it happens that I don't drive for days on end. Like uh, Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, so <laughs> what happened then? Uh, good question. But yeah, I mean, it raises, speaking of question, it, it raises a lot of questions because, okay, what happened if Tesla figures out that, okay, you're not good enough a driver? Um what happens now? When do you actually get access to the full self-driving package? Because you you already paid for it. If you have access to the download button, you paid the up to ten thousand dollars to get it, uh, yeah. and now Tesla is denying access to you because of apparently you don't drive good enough or, or whatever is going to be the actual criteria that they're, they're going to use. Uh, so what does it mean then? When when are you when are you going to be able to get access to it? Or, or the when it's not going to be in beta anymore? Which we have no idea when that's going to happen. Do you think they're actually checking your driving abilities or maybe they're checking the roads that you're on as well? Like maybe if you're on like dirt roads or something, that's not a good candidate. But if you're on an easy to navigate interstates a lot. Okay, so so he said that they're going to use the same driving calculator as Tesla Insurance use. We did report right. on that earlier this year. Uh, the, the Tesla's posted some some data about that. And here are the factors that they take in. So a- ABS activation. So when and when the ABS actually activate, hours driven, which I mean that doesn't tells you much. Force autopilot disengagement. A number of times that autopilot is disabled due to in your alerts. So if you're ignoring autopilot alerts, that's going to be a bad factor. Forward collision warning. So the number of times that you detect a potential forward collision. So when you get the beep beep beep, uh, try to avoid that. Unsafe following time, so it actually detects the following time, and uh, if if it believes it to be unsafe, uh, that's going to take some point off your board. And uh, intensity of acceleration and braking. So this is the actual like telemetry data that people are used to, like that. What's most like because uh, because this is not entirely new. Like a lot of people, are like what the hell? This is so big, broader. Tesla Tesla is, is looking how you drive and everything. I mean, obviously. Insurers don't have access to all that kind of data here, but there's literally insurers that will offer you to, for years now, to download an app, and the app will use will activate when you're driving and will detect the intensity of acceleration and braking, and they will use that to determine if you're a dangerous driver or not, and that will affect your insurance premium. That's not new to Tesla at all. So the thing here is, is that Tesla is using it to, um, to, to determine or not if you're ready for self-driving, for full self-driving beta, I should say, if it's the beta. Um, so maybe, maybe if you're not ready for the beta, you're only going to get it when it gets out of beta, but that could take like forever. That That's going to depend on like regulatory approval and everything. It's not even up to Tesla. And, um, do you get reimbursed in the meantime? Cause like, I don't know. This is, this is, this whole thing is like a completely new way of, uh, of handling this, uh, like the, <laughs> They're very disrupting in the auto industry. We've never seen any approaches like that. Yeah, it, and also like there's always, there's been like since 2017 there's been like pseudo promises on Twitter of mm. FSD coming soon. Or at that point it was like advanced autopilot. But like 
it's always coming soon. It's always like just around the corner. And, you know, like I had a, I had a model X for three years. Like I leased it and I was supposed to get it. <laughs> I never got, like I had to return it and I never got, never got, it. I mean, it, it wasn't like, you know, we got it leased and it was a uh, partially used one. So it was kind of like, we'll take what, whatever it's got on it. But like, if I had purchased that, you know, as a lease and I had to return it and I never got to use any kind of full self-driving, I mean, yeah, I guess lane change and since, uh, you know, that stuff is cool, but I would be quite upset if I purchased full self-driving and then three years later, never got to use it. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember when they made the change to 10000 but especially like the latest price, like $10,000, it's... uh. For, for for the current features, if you don't have the FSD beta, it's uh it's not worth it. Even if you have FSD beta, like it's limited FSD beta because even though like yeah, it it, it it's feature complete, it closed the gap between autopilot and smart summon on however you want to look at it, you, you're still completely responsible for the car. You need to be ready to take control all the time. It's not that much less stressful of a driving experience. So anyway, all right. One last thing on FSD beta. Uh it looks like Tesla is not testing it in Canada. Uh, I know we have a lot of Canadian listeners and a lot of people have been asking when is it going to be available in Canada? And the answer is always whenever, a few months after it's going to be available in the US because they need to adapt, of course, the software to different road markings and different rules and everything. But I mean, we always expected the Canadian market to be the next one after the US because road, uh, road rules and road markings and signs are fairly similar to, uh, to the ones in, um, in the US. Maybe in Quebec it's a little bit different because yeah, I was going to say, how come in France they have stop signs, but you still got a red in uh, yeah because uh, because because in France they're not surrendered by uh, uh, two or three hundred and fifty million English speaking people that are threatening to absorb uh, our language and everything. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I mean I'm exaggerating a little bit, but this is pretty much it. This is the idea. Like we are more protective of a French language because, I mean. Uh, we're gonna lose it otherwise like it's just like right. it happened in Louisiana with uh, the French people there and um, they're a little bit more careful here I admit that for stop like it's like it's a little bit a little bit much but I'm sure that to be fair for a full self-driving system that would be the hardest thing to uh, implement but there's uh, other things to just how all people do road markings here but uh, there's this guy that goes by Joshua C on YouTube that uh, this week he started posting a bunch of FSD beta v10. Uh, drive in Canada, so it looks like Tesla is starting to onboard some Canadian uh, early access uh, owners uh, to test the features. So we we expect uh, as the wide release happen next week. Well, what I mean, it's not really going to be next week because technically you won't be able to get the software until in, uh, for another week after that if you're on your good behaviors. But uh, I, I would expect not more than a few months after that, the Canadians going to start uh, getting the wider release too. GB Straubel, one of my uh, favorite people, one of my heroes, uh, one of the most important person, I think, in uh, electrification, um, is, uh, of course, longtime Tesla CTO, uh, Tesla co-founder. And uh, he left Tesla in 2019 to focus on his startup, uh, Redwood Materials. And uh, the way he talked about Redwood Materials uh, was always more about recycling. So they, they want to take... Uh, battery packs, uh, use battery packs from electric cars, uh, use electronics, personal electronics, cell phones, laptop, and everything. And they want to recycle them to to restore the, the critical materials in them and use that to, like, basically as a mining operation, mining critical materials from used electronics in cars. But uh, what he announced this week is that they are taking it to a whole new step, a step that, that makes sense because if you're recycling materials and using them to make batteries mostly, that's what we're talking about here, um, you're going to have a mix of recycled and new materials in it. It's uh, going to be inevitable. And what, what uh, Redwood Materials announced this week is that they are launching, they're going to build a giant new factory in the U.S. that's not going to be only uh, about recycling, but also um, they, they're going to incorporate basically the um, uh, anode, uh, anode copper foil and cathode active material production. 
So they're going to produce anode with copper foil and cathode materials. So two of the most important part of a, a, a battery. And uh, they are talking about, no joke, a very giant factory here. 100 gigawatt hour of cathode material capacity by 2025. And uh, they want to rip that up to 500 gigawatt hour of capacity uh, by 2030. So giant uh, shift here. Uh, because most of that is happening in Asia right now. Any cattle production, animal production is uh, not very popular in the U.S. right now. There's some plans to do it. Redwood is not the only one. But at this scale, uh, it's it's giant. And uh, Redwood is in a great position to do it. Of course, J- Straubel himself has a lot of experience doing that. He, uh, he was the lead with the Panasonic partnership uh, that set up the first uh, cell production at Gigafactory, the biggest cell production in the U.S. And... Uh, he uh, he's himself uh, very knowledgeable of batteries, but this is a capital ex- intensive um, business, and uh, they need a lot of cash to do it. But uh, Amazon, Jeff Bezos to the rescue, they uh, injected seven hundred million dollars in this company in July. Uh, not just not just Amazon, but a, a bunch of investors, a lot of Tesla investors too, uh, back the company. So uh, I'm uh, I was really happy to see that because of course, like if you're for um, EV accelerating EV adoption. Uh, the main thing to do that is you have to increase production capacity and to increase electrical production capacity, you have to increase uh, battery capacity and to have to increase battery capacity, you have to increase um, battery material production capacity. And that's exactly what uh, Straubel is doing here. He's going to the very source of the problem and uh, hoping to help uh, others expand from there. Yeah, we we should also note it's like quite sad, but uh, we, we heard that uh, his wife had been... Uh, tragically killed in a, in a truck hitting a bike accident recently oh, yeah. that was really really hard to hear uh so condolences to him and his family on that one that's horrible yeah absolutely all right moving on to electrify america uh electrify america is again sponsoring the electric podcast um electrify america now operates the largest public ultra fast electric vehicle charging network in the united states and a few recent updates on the network, Electrify America is now the coast-to-coast with more than 650 EV charging stations, with new locations opening every week. It now offers ultra-fast charging with speeds up to 150 kilowatt and 350 kilowatt for capable vehicles, allowing you to charge up as fast as possible and get back on the road. EA offers a new monthly subscription plan with contactless payments through its mobile apps, and with it, you say you can save up to 25% on charging. If you're an EV driver and want to learn more about Electrify America and its growing network of charging stations across the U.S., find out what they're up to at electrifyamerica.com. That's electrifyamerica.com. Or hit up the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Electrify America for sponsoring this week's show. And they're also plug-in charge. We should note that. Like, that's kind of one of our favorite technologies coming out and, and... and uh, Electrify America is kind of leading the charge in the U.S. on that. So that's good. Yes, absolutely. All right. We're going to have a few more news items to discuss. And then we're going to jump into the comment section. If you have a, a question for us, please put, in, put uh, it in all caps in the comment section. So it's easier for us to see the question rather than the, all the discussions that are going out right now in the comments. Because I see a lot of comments today. So I'll just see if you can make it a little bit easier for us to see what's a, a question and what's a discussion among us, among you guys, uh, that would be appreciated. So any kind of question of topics you want us to discuss, we're going to get to them in a few minutes. But let's talk about Rivian because they had a big announcement this week is that uh, they rolled out of the production line their first vehicle that uh, is going to be sold to a customer. So the production of vehicle available to customer has, uh, has just started and uh, it's... Um, it's a nice R1T blue SUV, the same blue that we've seen for uh, uh, since the original unveiling in Los Angeles. I want to say, was it 2017, 2018? I'm confused yeah, about it. Right, uh, right around then. Yeah, that's uh, basically when they came out of stealth mode. And uh, now they're finally bringing out the production, and they are sort of been declared the winner of the race to bring a production electric truck uh, to, to the market. Um, I mean, of course, they haven't delivered the truck just yet, but we expect deliveries to happen any day now. Uh, of course, there's the media drive coming out next week. 
and then there's the customer drives the week after that uh, and we expect deliveries to customer to start in between that so by the end of the month they've been saying september deliveries so i i assume that they're going to stick to that at this point um but yeah big congratulations to rivian uh to winning that race however I want to point out that that race, although symbolic and everything is great, that's not really the most important race uh, when it comes to electric pickup trucks. The most important race is to achieve volume production of electric pickup truck. And I still think Rivian is the leader on that front because uh, they they look like they are far ahead. Uh, but you have to be careful with that because uh, Ford has a lot of experience building pickup trucks in volumes. And then on the other side, you also have Tesla that, while no experience in building pickup trucks in volumes, they have the most experience building electric vehicles in volumes. So you have a lot of competitor here. And uh, while, while Rivian has started production now, uh, ramping up to volume production is not an easy task either. And uh, just as uh, Rivian announced their their first production car or truck uh, for the next day announced that they started the pre-production of the f-150 lightning so i don't know if it's a coincidence or not but i thought it was interesting and uh, at the same time they announced their acceleration of their investment at the uh, rouge electric vehicle uh, factory that they have in dearborn where they're producing the f-150 lightning and uh, 250 million dollar more to accelerate the production capacity but uh, they just confirmed 80,000 trucks per year that's going to bring them. So we assume that that's what we reported on uh, last month about Ford accelerating their plans, uh, which uh, what we heard was 15,000 in next year, 55,000 in 2023, and 80,000 in 2024. So I assume that's what they're talking about now. Um, we, we already discussed that we think it's not incredible volume, but still, still decent. Well, compared to their uh, pre-orders, like they're not going to be able to, like if you pre-order a Ford F-150 now, you're at least waiting three years because they're not going to make enough. And then you're going to get the model that's after the one that they're currently making. Yes, because they are talking about the 2025 uh, next generation of the truck already. And uh, that one, once they do that, they're planning to double the production to over 160,000 units per year. We should also note that there's an embargoed Rivian event. Um, I heard a little bit about it at the, uh, the VW event mm-hmm. that we were at. And uh, somebody said that somebody got uh, altitude sickness at 10,000 feet. So <laughs> it might be a pretty interesting event, it sounds like. <laughs> and I'm sure that's embargoed to like, uh, you know, October or something. Uh, I would think not because the customer drives are starting like the 26th or something. Oh, that's true. But that's in like normal. Yeah, but I assume if uh, if they're starting the customer drive, yeah, they're going to lift them or go for the media drive to post on, on them. Um, yeah, very like it's just, uh, I mean, this race to electric truck production in the US is is really the most important thing to vehicle, vehicle, electric vehicle adoption in the US because pickup trucks are the most popular passenger vehicles in this market, which is. Uh, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. It is but, crazy, but uh, it is it is what it is, and it's easier to improve technology, electric vehicle technology, than it is to change consumers' habits. So uh, right. instead of uh, convincing people not to buy pickup trucks, you have to uh, get them to buy electric pickup trucks, uh, which I think I really think is going to be an easier task. Um, because they're going to be better product. I think there's there's no doubt about that. We've seen that happen with uh, with sedans. We've seen it happen right now with the SUVs, and it's going to happen with pickup trucks. It's inevitable. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the I'm really curious to see how Rivian's going to handle that production ramp. Uh, I'm I'm bullish on it. I think I think they're going to do great. But uh, it's their first time, uh, and uh, it can be hard. It's been hard for Tesla. We've seen it, uh, though. Uh, Rivian benefits a lot from Tesla in in the fact that they can learn from their mistakes, and they hired a lot of people from Tesla that uh, are aware of those mistakes and uh, going to try not to replicate them at Rivian. So this is uh, this is a big advantage for them. But uh, yeah, I mean, Ford would be like the front runner, not front. Like these guys make more pickup trucks than anyone. But these uh, these numbers that we're seeing right now are not the most encouraging out there. Like uh, eighty thousand trucks, uh, eighty thousand production capacity in twenty twenty four. I mean, even Tesla starting production later than that. I think they would they would reach that faster than twenty twenty four. Probably not that much faster though. Probably in twenty twenty three if they start in late twenty twenty two. Like yeah, so I don't know. 
We'll see. I, I, I still think Rivian is the leader on that front. Yeah, it's good to have competition. Mm-hmm. Speaking of competition, set Lucid. Uh, they officially announced their EPA ratings this week, and they did uh, confirm. Well, the EPA did confirm uh, that on their cycle, they do get 520 miles of range for the for the Dream Edition. Um, so, official EPA rating, Dream Edition, a 520, but that's if you use the 19-inch wheels. Like those wheels, they make a big difference. So be careful with that. You, have, you need the 19. But look, if you want the cool look of the 21-inch. You get forty four hundred and eighty one miles of range, so it's not it's not like you're uh, you're gonna be stranded with those. Uh, and then if you want the higher performance version, the Dream Edition performance, uh, you, you fall to four hundred seventy one for the nineteen five hundred four hundred and fifty one for the twenty one inch. And then you have the Grand Touring option, so uh, it's the less powerful than the, the Dream Edition. Uh, you tom you you fall down at uh, eight hundred HP. But uh, you still get so you still get over 500 miles of range, 516 for the 19-inch wheel, and uh, if you want the nicer-looking 21, you uh, go to 469 miles. And uh, they st- they seem confident that they're gonna still deliver those first car by the end of the year. And if they're getting the EP rating now, it's a it's a good sign that uh, the the vehicles are on track to uh, to, uh, to get the customers soon. So we're excited to get behind the wheels of that one too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I feel like Lucid's a takeover target, like uh, you know, Apple, Apple or yeah. or even Google, or like a maybe a company that was it's behind in the electrification, maybe like um, Stellantis, or I mean that doesn't really fit. I, there. I think I think Lucid is worth more than Stellantis, <laughs> right? Right. I don't, I don't even know how much Stellantis is worth, but uh, I think yeah. Uh, I think still, this is uh, Lucid. Is yeah, but I mean, Apple or, or Google million. are both. Yeah, I mean, Apple would make the most sense, especially like if they're really trying to do a car. Yeah, I mean, the Lucid Air is a beautiful, beautiful vehicle. Uh, incorporate Apple software and uh, full self driving capacity. Yeah, that we know they've been working on, and uh, there you Better have package. your Apple car produced by Lucid. I don't know. I, I think, well, at the same time, I don't want to diminish what UCID has been doing. I think they can right. be a great standalone company. They have great leadership. They have incredible engineering power behind them. Uh, so they, they, they could make it on their own. But I, I do agree that they are, it, it's, it's tempting. If you're like, they, they would be a tempting target to take over because, like, right now they have the longest range car, which is a big, like, kicker. I, I'm not that big of a fan of 500 mile car. Like it's not. Yeah. I I don't need 500 mile, but uh, I I do understand that it's like a psychological barrier that is helping a lot of people and convince them to go electric. So I'm still happy that it exists. Uh, but even like I mean, I live in Quebec where we have like the most difficult winter that affects the range like crazy, and and still then like that's where the 500 miles would be more useful because you can get like over 300 miles in a dead cold of winter but still then i'm like eh, it's, it's still a bit too much for me yeah i mean you're basically like your normal commute is what 40 miles so on a normal day you'd be carrying around 500 miles of range of batteries and you'd really only be traveling like 40 miles a day that seems like a, a waste mm-hmm all right. Uh, the other thing that came out of the EPA this week is the range for the dual motor all-wheel drive version of the VW ID4, and uh, it came out at uh, 249 for the Pro and 240 for the S. So you lose by going all-wheel drive versus the rear-wheel drive version. You, you, you lose um, 11 miles for the Pro version and 10 miles for the Pro S. And I think that difference is mainly when you get the Pro S package, you get the bigger wheels, and we know the bigger wheels does does affect the range. Yep. But Seth, you managed to get it behind the wheel of the all-wheel drive this week, right? Yeah, it was quite fun. Uh, so VW flew us down, wind us and dined us. Um, but then after uh, we we uh, wind, we went to sleep and sobered up, and then we got to drive. Uh, all around Chattanooga, which is the, the location of the new factory that is not yet producing uh, cars. They had one run up, come off the, the assembly line, but they're, you know, ramping. I guess, I guess German car companies, they, they spend a lot of time uh, practicing. They had all yeah. the like robots, like, uh, you know, doing their thing, but they, 
you know, without real parts. So, um, you know, they gave us a factory tour. That was pretty neat. Um, to be honest with you, like it, they weren't producing cars at that time. So it was kind of like, you know, Ghost what are we down. really looking at? Yeah. That's not a stamp. There's like 20 pieces in that riveted mm-hmm. together. Um, and you know, VW, like, of course I asked like, Hey, why don't you just do a, one big mega stamp? And they're like, Oh, what happens when you get in a fender bender? You got to replace the whole car. So that, you know, they have their re- retorts. Also, I, I believe one of the, uh, the VW guys m- might've said something about, you know, if, if we were Tesla, this, this would be a launch event and the cars coming off the assembly line would be, instead of being practice cars would be, you know, deliveries to employees kind of thing. So, uh, they, they had their, their chuckles. Um, but yeah, the car is great. Uh, so I, I reviewed the regular ID four, the, I guess the rear wheel drive ID four, mm-hmm. um, back in the winter and it would, you know, it was in the middle of a snowstorm. So, uh, I could barely get up my driveway with the rear wheel drive. Um, my problem with it, um, was that I felt that it was the, my big problem was that I felt that it was underpowered. Um, this one adds a hundred more horsepower. So from 200 mile, 200 horsepower to 300 horsepower, that's a big 50% improvement. Um, and you could definitely feel it 5.4 seconds, zero to 60, which is not, you know, ludicrous or anything or plaid, but, um, it's definitely a lot faster. Um, no problem, uh, accelerating in traffic feels fine. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I have a base, uh, Tesla model Y. It feels a lot like that accelerating. Um, it, you know, also like a, a, a base model Mustang. It's, it's similar to that kind of power. Um, interior, interior is great. Um, it looks fantastic. They still need to work on their center stack. Um, the, the UI isn't great. Um, we had some like sticky stuff, uh, the, (laughs) the navigation system, which I think is here maps from Nokia, um, or it used to be Nokia, um, took us off on a dirt road. You know, we were like, are you you sure that VW wants us to go this way? (laughs) And we, we did what the thing told us to do. And we went on the, you know, back in the middle of nowhere, on a dirt road, which is a great test, uh, for the all wheel drive. Um, but we saw some kind of like deliverance scenes, you know, <laughs> just, you know, like, uh, houses with like motors in the front yard and, and, you know, like dogs, like maybe like 10 dogs without collars, just, <laughs> just running a pack of dogs. Yeah. Just running alongside the car. You know, it was, it was a very, I don't know. I, I don't think that was VW's intention to have us go through that. <laughs> but, um, you know, we got to test the, uh, the off-road capability and, and I was impressed. Like, you know, I, we do have the bigger 20 inch wheels on there, but I, you know, I don't think I would have taken my model Y back there. I, we tried off-roading in the model Y a little bit and it just didn't feel like the suspension didn't feel like it was up to it. So I think they, they've got a little bit better thing going on here. Um, compared to the Model Y in that respect. Um, so, I don't know. I thought it was a pretty good car. I don't think I'm probably the the target audience. Um, mm-hmm. I think that this is more for, uh, I don't want to say middle America, but like people who don't read, you know, electric car <laughs> web, websites. <laughs> you took a long pause <laughs> after you said don't read. <laughs> <laughs> people people that aren't our readers like our, our readership ah, is that's that's okay you know what i mean like uh people who don't spend their time researching electric vehicles who don't want like yoke steering wheels and you know ludicrous type stuff um just like hey i want a car i want it to be convenient i want it to be whatever i think that people like that are gonna love this car um it's a great car also um it was kind of interesting uh the guy, Dustin, um, former Tesla guy, uh, he had a lot of uh, old Elon stories, which, yeah, I probably shouldn't share. But um, he is a smart guy. Obviously, you have former Tesla exec, knows the electric car market pretty well. Um, usually, uh, we're just at these kind of events. We're talking to PR people who've been there like a couple years and, you know, they drive a, a gas car at home and they're just kind of winging it. These guys, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Matt at Audi, like real electric car aficionados. 
Um, they, uh, the, the guys there were really smart. They, they drive electric vehicles. They, you know, they walk the walk. So I, you know, I came away thinking like the, the factory is great for Chattanooga. They're, they're doing all the right things. They're making the moves they have to do. They, they, they do need to do some more software updates. Um, yeah, that's coming, charge. right? Yeah, but it's it's been coming since March, so yeah. they really need to kind of make that happen. And then, uh, you know, obviously plug and charge, but they also mentioned bi-directional charging is on their roadmap, so that's kind of cool. Um, so, I don't know. I think VW's doing really well. Uh, I think the ID4 is going to be really nice for a lot of people. Um, they're They're really out there selling it. It's not like a compliance car by any stretch. They're really, they really want to sell a ton of these. And they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, can wait again for them to ramp up production in Chattanooga. That's going to be a big deal too. It's just more, yeah. more production in the U.S. It's going to help uh, adoption for sure. All right. Should we jump into the comments? Sure. Uh, it's already you, almost 7 p.m. here. Yeah. If you want any, uh, you guys want to talk to us, uh, caps, caps lock it. All right. Uh, James Reach, uh, which Tesla Model S trims come standard with passenger side lumbar support? Hmm, that sounds like uh, a- uh, that sounds like a none. Maybe the new Model S and oh, like it, um, they stop. Which, which the, Tesla? Uh, okay, yeah, that, okay. Now we have a problem with the whole caps because like, <laughs> I thought it was like Model S, but it's just Tesla models. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know about the new Model S, but I think I think they made they scrapped it all with the for the Model Three, Model Y. Like they were literally saying, like no one was using it, so we, we took them off. Yeah, uh, the incentive program should not include any plug-in hybrids, according to James. Uh, I I think they I think they do, but with the four thousand because if it counts on under forty kilowatt hours. So, I mean, to be honest, the, the, the plug-in hybrids are gonna get. Destroyed in the next few years with the by the all electric versions. It's, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. All right. Do you think the lower take rate on FSD is due to the cost or the timeline delays? Uh, yes. There is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't need to precise which one because it's definitely both. Yeah. There's no, no doubt about that one. All right. Does Rivian have anything like full self driving? Uh no, they're not quite as bold as to call anything full self driving like Tesla. I think uh, Tesla is the only one that either bold enough or moronic enough to call a package full self driving years before it's even close to that. Um, but if you're asking if they are, have their own autonomous uh, driving effort, they do, and uh, they're gonna do a more like I think like Mercedes Benz ones like type of thing where they're gonna do level by level going up. Uh, versus Tesla's like uh, all-in approach, um, but uh, yeah, I mean uh, we haven't had the opportunity to test it obviously yet, uh, so we're gonna do that soon. All right. Do you think the Bolt fiasco will hurt Cadillac Lyric sales? Oh. I don't think it's gonna help. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that earlier. Uh, what if the Bolt fiasco would have happened like three years ago? I think I, I I think I think the timing is incredible because if it would happen just a few years ago, I think it would have a giant impact on the electric cars right now. Like people would be freaking out and everything. But I think now like people have settled in enough into the reality that electric cars are the inevitable future, that this this problem that it's definitely like a bolt a, a, a GM slash LG slash Hyundai though Hyundai definitely handled it a lot better than than the two. Uh, other mention. Um, now it's more like it, it's our problem. It's not like an electric car. Why problem? Even though we can all agree that electric car have their safety issue related to, to batteries, you need to make sure that the batteries are are, are safe and uh, the battery packs are, are safe too. But other than that, like, like can you imagine? Like three years ago, this happened. Like it would have been a giant setback for the AV adoption. I think. You know what's weird though, like. You know, the bolts have been out since like end of 2016. Like, it doesn't seem like they started catching on fire until like 2020. Yeah, it looks like degradation might have been a part of it too. Like, uh, yeah, for sure. But now it's like the new ones are catching fire. And, yeah. Well, uh, like they didn't make it get, they made, they screwed up. And uh, GM confirmed this week that they're going to shut down that uh, bolt, bolt to UV production uh, at least until oh, October. Uh, yeah, mid October at least. So, 
it's going to be at least over a month, um, almost two months of uh, production shutdown for them. Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. Now, I said it would affect uh, the Ultium. You know, look, don't expect giant volume for Ultium from the start either. Like it's uh, just like you shouldn't expect giant volume from Rivian this year or even next year. So I think it's going to be a slow ramp up for the GM's Ultium vehicles, starting with the Hummer and then the Lyric. Uh, which I think they're going to sell everything they can make, really. Uh, yeah. Regardless of uh, fiascos, like you just called it for the boat. All right, here's a good question. Have we heard anything on the VW electric bus? Wife wants one. Good news. If uh, I did hear some stuff on the bus. It's already been public, but um, they said that it's going to be 2023. So that's uh, about a year and a half from now. Um or 2024, worst case scenario, if the chip shortage continues and, and there's still issues. Um, some details on it. Um, it the bus is in Germany, it's going to be an eight seater, but in the US, the third row is probably going to be a two seater because of some like NHTSA stuff or whatever. So, uh, seven seat, lots of room in the back. Uh, apparently, uh, one of the, the guys had been in the back of it and said it was quite roomy for even adults and uh it's going to be the next uh electric vw in the u.s as far as i know and um you know they also said that there's going to be a sedan vw coming to the u.s at some point so that's going to be kind of interesting as well not the id3 unfortunately all right all right somebody says i disagree with seth even though it's not caps lock so i had to check it out <laughs> I'm considering an ID4 because I can't afford a Model Y. I don't. Yeah. Oh. So, what's the price of the all-wheel drive uh, ID4? So it starts at forty-three thousand. At the very end of my post, there's a uh, good pricing chart. Um, it starts at forty-three thousand, but you've got a seventy-five hundred dollar um, federal tax credit today, and then um, you know there's the typical five thousand dollars of gas savings or whatever. Um, so that's that takes you know, $12,000 off that price. Um, and then state incentives are going to drop it again. It's cheaper to run an electric vehicle. So um, well, I guess that's the gas incentives, but also maintenance. So you're already looking at like a thirteen, $30,000 car with all-wheel drive. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point from Roll here. That's definitely a lot cheaper than Model Y. Yep. All right. I'm an EV fanboy. I just can't afford a Model Y plus ID4 has CarPlay. That's a great point. If you're a CarPlay fanboy, Android Auto fanboy, uh, then all of a sudden the the Mustangs and the uh, Machi or sorry the uh, ID4s um, make a little bit more sense. And then we have one last question here: Is the bus going to have those crazy seats too? Still, oh, I'm uh, probably talking about the seat and the concept version i doubt i doubt it yeah i i, I don't know if they're going to make like a camping version of that with like a fridge and a whatever but uh, you know i think the initial ones are just going to be for lots of seating and and the the vw um it's going to be called the buzz or buzz i don't know i don't know if it's supposed to be pronounced bus buzz but um it's it's able to have three rows of like adult seating because the front row is so close to the front of the car versus a typical SUV which has you know a, a large uh, front trunk or whatever. Um, so the uh, that means the middle row is going to be quite roomy and the back row is going to be quite roomy. And then you can are you going to be able to like have just like two rows like that and like. Because that that system of uh, moving the rows like that is pretty cool on the on the floor. That is pretty cool. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to keep it like that, but you're going to be able to have up to eight people seating. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, we'll keep a keep an eye on that. Um, will Tesla ever get CarPlay? <laughs> I, at this point, I don't think so. I mean, for years they've been they've been promising like uh, phone mirroring, which is basically what. With the car Just play. put an iPad in your uh, buy one of those new minis. But at this point, I think Tesla is all in on their own software, and they're yeah. not going to let anyone else uh, put in any cup on their screen. 
And f- to, to be honest, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of CarPlay and uh, Android Auto, so I'm, and I love this as software, so I'm, I'm okay with it. But at the same time, I would not mind if they launch that because it's just more option for people. Anyway, uh, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Thanks a lot for watching. If you're on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up. Uh, it's always appreciated. Subscribe to get to uh, the next video that we're going to launch. Uh, I think set as a video coming up on the ID4 uh, all-wheel drive, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a bunch of other stuff that's coming up here that we filmed from IAA and uh, Eurobike. Uh, check out the new Eurobike video that uh, Micah posted this week. Uh, Seth and I are both featuring it, and it's a very fun video that gives you, if you didn't weren't able to uh, attend the show, it gives you a pretty good summary of the of Eurobike 2021. If you're listening on your podcast app, uh, please give us a five-star rating. That really helps the show a lot, a review. Always appreciate it. We read them all. And um, yes, that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm going to go to sleep now because I have to catch a flight back to Montreal tomorrow, first thing in the morning. And I'm going to be back home for next week, episode next Friday. So we're going to see have you a there. safe flight. Yes, thank you. Have a safe weekend, everyone. Ciao.